Hey gang, Wes Buck here, Drag Illustrated Magazine, checking in. It is Wednesday, February 17th, 2021, and we are so excited to join you guys today to uh, talk a little bit about drag racing. As always, I'm joined by my partner in crime here, Martyr Tundra. What's up, dude? You freezing like me? Yes, man. It's horrible here. It's uh, what an interesting time to be alive, man. It feels like it's one thing after another. Uh, if if the world isn't freaking out about a global pandemic, if, if it's it's an election year and we get an election over with, and it's oh my goodness, and now uh, we're we're hitting a, a a cold front or a winter storm that's crippling a big part of the country. I want to send my uh, thoughts and prayers to everybody that's being impacted by this storm. I'll tell you, we're here in the, the greater Dallas Fort Worth area in Texas, and this part of the country has been brutalized by this this storm. People are, are, are freezing. It's, it's a wild time. So our hearts go out to, to everybody that's been affected by this. Uh, you guys aren't built for it, water. right? No, yeah. man. I mean, and that's an interesting thing because having spent my whole life in the Midwest, big bad weather really has never been anything that, that bothered me. It's, I mean, I didn't love it, but it's something that we are very accustomed to. But it's quick. It, it's crazy, excuse me, how quickly you become a pansy. I mean, we spent a year, not even a full year, but like nine months living in Texas and you start to get accustomed to just perpetual year round, pretty good weather. And when it was sub zero here the last few days and it's like single digit temps down here, people, it's a it's a different kind of program, man. People are freaking out. It, it's it's apocalyptic out. The stores are either closed or completely out of everything. It's such a I was talking to a friend uh, at SeaTech, Daryl Martin at SeaTech yesterday SeaTech manufacturing and being based out of the north you know they're like they just can't help but chuckle a little they obviously don't wish anybody bad but you know he's going man we face this type we got feet of snow right i mean it, this is stuff that we deal with all the time and i go yeah but it, it's it's interesting because down here this part of the country they're just not prepared for it right i mean there, well, water, there's not the salt trucks there's not right. yes i mean yeah. homes aren't built for this uh even like really well constructed buildings and and people that are it's not like it's a bunch of corner cutting or anything like that that's kept that's causing these type of things. This whole the rolling power outages has been really weird. I have a lot of friends in the area that are that are going twelve hours with power, twelve hours without power. Um, we've had a few guys here at the shop that are dealing with a power on for an hour and power out for two hours and kind of a rotation of that. So, knock on wood. Um, we've been fortunate here at, uh, at the office to, to have electricity, which is a big win. And we also have currently electricity at the house. So I'm excited about that, but it's just, there's a, it, it's, it's freaky. It's a little bit freaky and you don't want to be out in it that much. I mean, it's, it's cold and I'm not above or, or afraid of dra driving in this weather or in these conditions, but when you're driving on highways with a lot of people that are not used to driving in these conditions, Right. I mean, you go to you go to northeast Missouri this time of the year and there's a snowstorm or whatever and people are just going to work. Like <laughs> yep. Yeah, we're just another day. Whereas this type of thing happens here and people are driving 22 miles an hour on the side of the road or the center of the road with their hazards on. It, I mean, you every few feet you see another car upside down in the ditch or what have you. So, it's it's just a different thing and I kind of opted to lay low. I'm like, you know what? We have it's not worth it to be out in this, just just rolling the dice. You know, I chose to come to the office here today uh, because I felt like things were calming down. I think we're supposed to get another wave of this storm sometime this afternoon. So I'm probably going to hightail at home uh, as soon as we get through uh, this week's episode. But it's it's 
it's wild, man. It's really, I mean, I'm found myself outside trying to thaw pipes and insulate stuff and wrap stuff up. And it's uh, wild times, man. I'm thinking about everybody. You just think about like warming centers are being opened all throughout the area, places you can just go and, and, and warm up. Right. And I think it's been interesting for me because this is just a, yet another reminder how out of control we really are. I mean, I think yeah. I know personally that you, you get, it's so easy to get laser focused on something and frustrated because you can't control it or you can't change the outcome of some situation. And I think sometimes we think that with a little bit of willpower and a little bit of elbow grease, we can figure this out and get it done. And it's moments like this when you realize how small and insignificant we kind of all, you know, it's just, Hey, the, the weather's going to weather, right? I mean, if it's cold, it's cold, right? I mean, it's just, it's, there's nothing you can do about it. And I, maybe that's a little bit of a good ego check for everybody, right? A little bit of an ego check for everybody to figure out that, that we're going to sort you know, we can't change this. There's nothing we can do about it. I don't know how I feel about it. I like to have control of stuff. So <laughs> being snowed in is not a big, a big, big fun thing for me. But anyways, obviously, um, despite the racing season, not even having started just to, uh, just yet, there's still tons of stuff going on. We've had a lot of the silly season things start to happen last week. Matter of fact, we talked a little bit about what was going to happen with John Force. Well, we, uh, we got, we found out what was going to happen with John Force just yesterday as news broke that John Force Racing would return for what appears to be the full pull of the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series. I think this is fantastic news for the sport of drag racing. Uh, there, were, there were some notable absences from those announcements that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. But to be honest, if you ask the question, what does this mean for our sport? What does this mean for drag racing? I believe across the board, it's a positive thing. We, we did talk last week about how I think that there, there's life on the other side of, of John Force. There's life for the sport of drag racing on the other side of John Force. But all things considered, the, the state of affairs, the state of our sport, all that's going on, I think that NHRA needs all the help they can get right now. And this is just a great, it's a, it's a positive headline, right? It's a headline that reads something, something coming in instead of something going away. Most of the news cycle has been dominated by racetracks being sold or being closed or you get those heart-wrenching photos of a of a tower being knocked over, and it's just so fresh and so uh, excuse me, so refreshing to see a little bit of good news out here in the in the grand scheme of things. Again, John Force in his interview and the quotes that were provided along with all the the press packet, talking weight loss, talking feeling good, talking working out, talking coming back, looking to win races, set records, win championships. And I have to believe that John Force is headed into 2021 with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, right? You look back at last year, Don Schumacher racing sweeps the funny car competition, wins every race, wins a world championship with driver Matt Hagen. And I have to believe that John Force, Robert Height, Brittany, the whole team, all their crew chiefs, everybody involved with that operation, they're looking at this going, you know what? We're, we're gonna come upset the apple cart. We're gonna come back, we're gonna return to our to usual form, put this team back in the winner's circle. And I think it's going to be great for the sport of drag racing. It was a cool storyline last year, I think, that, that Don Schumacher dominated in that fashion. But it, it wouldn't have taken a lot of work to make an argument for that domination was not obviously not entirely due to the fact that there wasn't the level of competition that there had been in the past. But you'd be lying to yourself to say that it didn't play a part. Right. It most certainly impacted the outcome, not having these top tier cars in the field throughout the whole season. So 
I think it's going to make for, it's going to bring back some, I was looking at funny car as one of the classes that NHRA, they had some, they had some momentum there. They had some energy there. They had some stars there. They had some, some of the old guards, some fresh faces and everything in between. So maybe we can see the NHRA get back to a point where funny cars feeling healthy. There's enough cars there. There's, there's no 15 car fields and things like that. These awkward moments that kind of translate on TV when a guy's making a single in the opening round and no one wants to talk about it. It feels like the elephant in the room. So hopefully those, uh, those days are behind us for a little while. I know that I'm excited to see uh, John Force back on the mic, back in front of the cameras. I can make a big case for all the things we talked about last week and I'm sure we'll be talking about again, but I think it's going to be fun to watch a, a highly motivated, well-rested, go-out-on-top John Force. This this is a man that needs little motivation. He's, in spite of all of his success, he's continued to to press the on, you know, press forward and, and shake things up and hire people, make changes. Never never afraid to to mix mix it up, right? And I'm excited to see what what the uh, the old silver fox has in store for us in 2021. It's it's going to be fun to watch, and I do think that I think we've got a couple years left of John Force. So my my thought here is that I don't think there's any way that this is his swan song. I don't with the limited crowds we're going to see at most of the facilities this season. I can't imagine that John Force or the NHRA want to see the most celebrated drag racer, perhaps of all time, go out to less than less than fair fanfare. Does that make sense? I think that they're going to want to make sure that John Force, his final tour, his last hurrah is something that happens in front of packed grandstands, capacity crowds, and with, with a lot of open access and a lot of the things that our sport of drag racing, the sport of drag racing has become known for and loved for is that tight knit, everybody piled in the pits and piled around the pits. We want to see that again. I want John force to have me personally as a fan of drag racing. I want to see John force have the opportunity to do it, how he's done it right. Sign autographs at the ropes all day and all night, hug and high five and take pictures with people. And I don't think that opportunity is necessarily going to exist in 2021. So I think if we want to play armchair quarterback a little bit, which is always fun and, look into uh, our crystal ball. I think we got a few years left of John force behind the wheel of an 11,000 horsepower funny car. I look for him to get his sea legs. Not that he's going to need much time to do that. I do believe there is such a thing as rust um, ring rust, as they call it in combat sports. I think we're going to see a little bit of that. I mean, you got to get back into the rhythm. You got to, um, and it, some, it happens quicker. I mean, sometimes guys are able to jump into the ring and shake off their rust within round one. I'd say John Force and company are capable of doing that exact same thing. They'll get to speed quickly. Um, however, I do take a little, I'm kind of excited to feel genuinely there's a couple years left. And what that does that's not going to get talked about perhaps enough is it gives our sport and it gives the NHRA and the marketing team there and everybody involved with kind of creating the vision and creating the roadmap for the future it, it gives them a little bit of time to lean on and lean into their old reliable as far from a marketing and promotion standpoint, lean into John force, lean into all that he has to offer and be building a roadmap or be building a plan for the future. And it's it, obviously there's a lot that goes into it. A lot of moving parts. Uh, the, the world is certainly very tumultuous right now. So it's, it's hard to do too much prior, you know, prior planning, but I do think the NHRA is, 
going to be in a good place to have a little bit of time to start to, to rapidly develop some other stars and get some other people accustomed to being in front of the cameras, accustomed to doing the big interviews and, and everything else. It'll be, if they're smart, they're thinking about this right now. They're thinking about the fact that we've got a window here. We've got a couple of years, more than likely, where we're going to have this iconic figure stay competitive, stay in the thick of things. There's no doubt in my mind that John Force will be winning races in 2021. He'll be winning races in 2022. But I have to believe that the writing's on the wall. The end is near. It, I believe he's set up for a for a final strike tour to 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 use uh, what Don Perdome did many many moons ago. I think he's going to have a you know the brute force tour or whatever uh, in 2022. That's my prediction. I guess I'll, I'll be answering for it in a couple of years. But that's kind of what I see as a likely pathway. And I'm anxious to see where the NHRA goes after that, right? They're going to have to dig into their bag of tricks and, and start looking around for the opportunities to, to thrust some of these people into the spotlight. So interesting times for sure. I think it was all of us were freaking out a little bit that it just felt like radio silence. And we've become trained to just expect to hear what's going on at John Forrest Racing mm -hmm. almost daily. They're constantly sending out press releases, new sponsor announcements, new wraps. John Force was an early adopter of the multiple paint schemes throughout the season thing. People, you know, look at NASCAR and go, oh, that was happening. But John Force has been doing that for a long, long, long time. Themed cars, event-specific cars, regional cars, uh, special edition cars. And I'm excited to see what he's got left in the tank these last couple of years. And I'm, I genuinely, despite all the genuine concern that could exist for people as to life after this man that, that has meant so much to the sport of drag racing for so long. I'm excited to see this, this chapter. This feels like a fun and exciting chapter of the John force racing book. And I, I'm excited to see how it plays out, man. And it's, it's uh interest seems high. I'll tell you just like a little bit of insider baseball. I was stunned we pay attention to a lot of different metrics when it comes to dragillustrated.com and drag illustrated our various social media channels. What, what items seem to move the needle? What items seem to get clicks? What, what, what headlines, what, what things really seem to move the needle in the sport? And John force delivers again, right? I mean, we make that headline. He, he'd been very quiet and boom, damn near server crashing level traffic to that story on our website and it just reminds you of the impact this man has on the sport of drag racing there's i mean we've ran stories on all of them and there's just a group of people in our sport that are needle movers no matter love them hate them somewhere in between compete against them you're still interested in them and it's it was it came as no surprise i was anxious to see how it would work and what kind of engagement we'd get and again no surprise it melts us down and just another reminder of, of the impact and the significance this man has in the sport of drag racing, even after all these years. And it really is unique. If you look around how few and far between these examples are of people that have been able to remain competitive for eons, decades upon decades upon decades, and it's a blessing and a curse, right? It's a blessing and a curse. There's no doubt about it. But I'm excited to see what the last little bit of John Force's career has to uh, has in store for us. And with that, we'll move on to the next topic. Oh, go ahead.
we were talking to Brian today, and they said, "Man, you know, we're with we're with John as long as he wants to drive, so he didn't have anything to worry about there. So that's good." In that, I mean, and I think that that's how a lot. Well, not to slide off into a business lesson, but that is a fantastic reminder of just the value the value of great relationships. People that yep. are willing to support people through thick and thin, and it's based on their relationship with that person. And John Force has had sponsors come and go, uh, but way more come and way more stay than have ever went away. And it's you got to give credit where credit's due when it comes to that type of thing. It's another thing that's equally unique in the sport of drag racing and in in sports and motorsports in general. These longstanding relationships that guys that have sponsors that stretch several decades and mm -hmm. different, I mean, complete. Can you imagine how many different executives that and and marketing people and accounts payable people or whatever that John Force has encountered in his time in drag racing? I mean, I'm sure that they've had CEOs come and go at many of these companies that he's had to maybe not start at zero with, but build a rapport with and kind of, yeah. a relationship with. And it's and we've experienced that in our in, you know in our own business with Drag Illustrated magazine as you spend 10 years developing a relationship with this guy at XYZ company and then he quits or he moves on or he <laughs> loses his position as part of the corporate roll up and you're going, oh man, we're back at square one. We got to start over. And what's it say for John Force that despite knowing those things happen in every business, He's been able to continue to develop these relationships. What it does is it speaks to the man that he is. Crazy on camera, outspoken, um, all these things, but there's a value to being associated with him. There's no doubt about it. And he's a, he is a perpetual needle mover in motorsports in general. Uh, you think about the, they had a, they had a reality TV show on A&E before Street Outlaws was even think, thought about, right? Um, mm -hmm. they, they, he was first to the party in so many instances, and he was way ahead of his time. And it's been incredible to see that unfold. And it's no surprise, man. They, they were doing things before it was fashionable. He was putting himself out there before becoming an influencer was like a jot, like something that people sought out. Everybody wants to be an influencer now, right? Everybody wants to have their opinion heard and have their opinion mean something. Well, John Force's opinion and 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 uh, his voice has been heard for for forty years, and it's incredible to see. And I'm I'm happy for him. I was really concerned just knowing the nature of business and how things were going for some of these big companies. And another thing that we unfortunately know too much about is you hear all these inner workings of companies pulling back and companies cutting their budget here and cutting their budget there. And I was genuinely concerned that John Force was too smart to spend, to burn up his own wealth going out the way he wanted to go out. Uh, he's way too smart for that. And I was hoping that corporate America, as he likes to call it, would stand behind this man and give him an opportunity to go out um, in the fashion that he deserves to, to hang it up. This is a guy that deserves to run all the races in front of full crowds, make all his passes, go to the winner's circle, compete for a championship, and then hang it up. He's uniquely positioned to do that, in my opinion. Great team, great smart people, great operation, best of the best when it comes to equipment, um, the most prepared that they can possibly be. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what the old man's got in store for 2021. Speaking of what's in store for 2021, 
Let's dive right into this. Uh, sorry, we're both clicking the same thing. <laughs> Donald Long, record number of pre-entries for the upcoming Lights Out 12 at South Georgia Motorsports Park in Valdosta, Georgia. This is, without question, one of the biggest independent drag races on the planet Earth, if not the biggest. And it's just another event or another thing in our that kind of defy, that's the exception to the rule. Right, so many things in our sport. We've seen them come and we've seen them go. We've seen Outlaw 10-5 burst onto the scene and within a few years become a class that's racers are are doing battle for fifty thousand bucks or a hundred thousand bucks or whatever, racing for big crazy money. And then it just seems as fast as they get to the top of the mountain, they get back to the bottom. Right, right now we're looking at Outlaw 10-5. Obviously, there's pockets of Outlaw 10-5 across the country that that remains ste- remains steady, solid, meaningful. Uh, et cetera. But by and large, it doesn't have near the buzz nationwide that it did a decade or more ago. So I think it's really incredible, personally, that that Duck X Productions, Donald Long and his, his wife, Stephanie, their whole team has been able to maintain this level of interest for this long. You're talking 12. That's so long in the tooth when it comes to an event. And, and it's very rare. You just don't see events too often stand the test of time like this. And typically they they have to kind of be reinvented at some point along the way. And it's interesting that that's not really the case when it comes to lights out. This is an event that has date equity. It's, it's the same time of the year, every year, early in the season, same location. He's done so many things right. And it's, I think it's fantastic to see that whole group and the sport of drag racing rewarded with record pre-entries for uh, the 12th annual running of Lights Out, man. It's, I think what this really speaks to for me is just that pent up demand. We're seeing it across the board. People got a taste of not having their freedoms and not being able to do the things that they want to do. Throughout the course of this global pandemic, many are still contending with these things. I've talked to several racers from outside of the United States that are beating their heads against the wall because they can't easily or effectively travel to and fro the United States like they once once were able to. And, but, and people are going crazy. People are dying to get out to the racetrack right now. So it doesn't totally surprise me that at this point in time, with everything that has gone on in the last 12 months, that that lights out 12 is looking like it's going to be the center of the drag racing universe yet again in middle to uh, late February. So excited to see what shakes out down in Valdosta. I know that uh, Jeff Miles, Sidney Marshall, of course, Ozzy and Maria Moya are all fired up. The people that have um, kept these places like South Georgia Motorsports Park, Orlando Speed World running, rocking and rolling. Uh, the last several years. I'm excited to see them be rewarded with a barn burner of a weekend. Let's uh, let's hope for good weather, um, low density altitude, and some some record setting passes. And I'll tell you, moving on to our, our kind of next topic that, that piggybacks on Lights Out 12, something that I'm just excited about and for a multitude of reasons, but Pro 275, 40 piece, man. I don't know the exact car count. Over 40 cars pre-entered for Pro 275. They've got these things stacked like firewood. You've got big time race teams building new cars. Fletcher Cox, Sean Ayers, some videos surfaced this past weekend of their Black Betty 69 Camaro. A Tim McCamus built 69 Camaro with a, uh, a Roots Blown Hemi in it. That thing's showing up on the scene testing 
down here in the Southeast. And it's, it, you start thinking and you're feeling some energy. This feels familiar. I've heard this before, right? This feels a lot like the early days of radio versus the world. And I don't think the RVW ship has necessarily sailed, but I'll tell you, Donald Long was looking for a, looking for another marquee attraction to attach to his events, another class that moved the needle. That's going to be said a lot here today, a lot here today. Pro 275 is clearly it. I was just having an offline conversation with Josh Hatchett, our senior editor here at Drag Illustrated Magazine. And we were talking about how when you go to events like Lights Out, 12, Lights Out, there's so many cars there and there's so much racing going on that you kind of have to resign yourself to not seeing it all. Like you just, you have to, to know that you're going to miss some stuff unless you just camp out on the starting line or camp out along the guard wall, you're going to miss stuff there. And so, I mean, if you're bebopping around the reports, doing any sort of, uh, excuse me, bebopping around the pits, doing any sort of reporting, or if you're doing any other things, networking, whatever you may be involved in, the notion that you're going to catch all the big happenings, it's just, it's an impossibility. Too much action is like the biggest problem at Lights Out. There's just so much happening on that racetrack at any given time. And all the classes by and large are capable of producing like a jaw dropping big moment, a moment that's going to go viral on, on YouTube or on, on social media. Right. So knowing that I think it's interesting because there was only one class that you could hear Lee Sebring say over the P the PA system, PTC radio versus the world to the lanes. And it just everybody, it, that was the call to arms it, and it, it, it will be right. I think that this is the first time that there are two categories that will create the same rush, the same enthusiasm and interest as, as right now. This is the first time. I, I, in the past, if you missed a two, X275 session, and I'm not talking out of turn. Nobody needs to get offended by these things, but it's a fact, right? If you miss something, you, you know you got to be up there. You know you got to be paying attention when they call RVW. You don't want to miss that. Everybody, I challenge you to be honest with yourself. If you're watching the live stream, you tell someone that's at the track, hey, text me when Stevie Jackson's in the water <laughs> box. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, you're right. It's a, it's a fact. And I see it happen all the time. Text me when RVW comes up. And that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. A lot of times in drag racing and in, just in life, we all, everybody wants to be number one. And I think that there has to be number two, three, four, five. Otherwise, number one isn't as significant as we need it to be, right? Like the whole goal yeah. is to have your guys in Duck, uh, Duck X, or excuse me, DXP Street or Ultra Street or whatever, limited 235. The goal is to grow those guys up through the ranks. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But if there's not something for them to aspire to, Right. I mean, that, that's the whole idea. So I, I think oftentimes people get a little offended by that type of commentary. They get a little bit sensitive. They get in their feels about, oh, man, you know, what do you mean you're not on the starting line when I run? Are you you, you, you missed me make a pass? Right. And it's it, it just goes without saying, man, RBW has long since been the star of the show in Valdosta, Georgia. That's what people are waiting on until now. Very cool. I think it's a super exciting thing to think about the fact that there's going to be two categories that have become can't miss attractions. And when you throw in Sean Ayers and Mark Mickey and Jim, how all these guys that are in this category, how fast these cars are, how quickly it's gained momentum, how quickly it's gotten all this fanfare and interest. 
I'm excited. And I think it's, we actually predicted this on the pages of Drag Illustrated Magazine last year that Pro 275 was the next big thing when it came to small tire racing. And it's going to be interesting to see how, as a promoter and event producer, Donald Long and his team at Duck X are able to kind of walk this, do this dance. Because I think it's going to be very hard not to resist the urge to just lean all the way in to Pro 275. If you've got this huge inventory of cars, it's going to be difficult to resist, I think, the urge to just say, you know what, we should pay all the money here, put all the focus here. And I think it's going to steal the show. I do too. I, I hate to say that. I mean, it, nobody wants to, these aren't things that, that are fun or popular to talk about, but radial versus the world evolved so fast. I saw Tyler Crossno make a post on social media earlier today, posting a picture of his buddy, Daniel Ferris's very well-known white SN95 Mustang, probably one of my favorite. I'm the, the polar opposite of a Mustang guy. But that car was slick. <laughs> I love those SN95 body style Mustangs when they're done right. And not when they're sitting up like four-wheel drive trucks, you know what I mean, with stock wheels on them. But when they're in the weeds and they got that stance and they got a deck lid spoiler on them, they're a great-looking race car, right? One of your favorite race cars of all time, Murder Chandra, Kevin yep. Mullins, very well-known red SN95 Mustang. Tyler posted that photo, and I would have been wise to have it queued up here, but Tyler posted that photo, and it was a, a shot of the scoreboards, the car going away at Valdosta, posting up a 395. Five years ago, that was a Titanic run. Huge. Like, shot heard round the world level performance. And still to this day, I have a, a bit of an internal struggle, and I have this kind of ongoing internal dialogue of, how the f are they going this fast? Like, when I started my drag racing career as a, you know, when I went to work in the sport of drag racing in the spring of 2005, my first ever job working in racing, the fastest pro mods in the country ran four O's in the eighth mile. And these are tube chassis, big motor, big name, big budget teams in to, to try to wrap your head around how fast this has gone insane. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I mean, like I said, that's not that long ago. 16 years ago, that's and that that's really a few minutes in the grand scheme of things. Like that's just yesterday. And to think about where these radial tires cars started, where they're at now. I remember going back to those early mid 2000s. I put on a five race series in 2005 um, called the Pro Outlaw Drag Racing Series at a single track Eddyville Raceway Park in Iowa. One of the the classes we contested was Outlaw Drag Radial. I'm kind of embarrassed that we even called it that because the fastest car in the class ran 530s in the eighth mile. And it had a, it was a freaking Pontiac Le Mans or a Pontiac, yeah, what was it? It was a Pontiac GTO, I believe, um, like a 69 Pontiac GTO with a pump gas Sunny Leonard 632 in it, a single plane cast aluminum intake and a carburetor. And a big nitrous system, right? A pump gas 632. He was like number one qualifier at every race we had in 2005. 15, 16 years later, like people's daily drivers run 530s. Like, they're, <laughs> right? Their grocery getters run that. And if you talk about a class, you know, outlaw drag radial is what we called it back then. It's so far away from where we are today. And I just can't help but feel... There's a uniqueness. All these heads up classes when big money gets involved and the purse money starts to escalate, 
things start to happen fast. The cars get fast. The tuners get, you know, everything gets ratcheted up a lot in a short amount of time. So you remember when you're going to buy jackets for anybody that went in the threes? Yeah, I mean, I we'd, be broke. We'd, be, we'd be broke. We're going to get we'd drag illustrated jackets for anybody that goes in the threes. And yeah. Wow. We, we would literally have had to make one for the population <laughs> of the planet. Right. Because, and that it's still, I struggle with it. I really do. And I don't want to get too far away from the topic here talking about pro 275 and, and radio versus the world, but man, a three second, eighth mile run used to be reserved for Jason Scruggs. Like <laughs> there was one guy in Mississippi with a no holds barred screw blown, crazy outlaw pro mod style car. He was the only guy going threes. Like that was the only three second car on the planet. And that's not been that long ago. It's really not. I mean, in the early days of DI, those are the guys we were building the magazine around. Those are the guys we were, we were after. Those are the stories we were trying to tell. And it's to think about how far it has come and how fast it, it's, it's one of those things where I think sometimes we can't racers oftentimes are their own worst enemies. We just continue to push the envelope, continue to spend more, continue to refine. And you end up in a situation like radio versus the world is in here in 2021, where I think anybody that's being speaking frankly and without any sort of bias or whatever would say that it's not as healthy as it once was. Right. I mean, I can't, if I had a dollar for every time I heard someone tell me, oh, it's not radio versus the world, it's radio versus the wallet, right? Or, or the times that I've had racers tell me, hey, I want to go racing again, but I just can't spend that anymore. I just don't want to spend that much money. Matter of fact, I've had two or three of those conversations in the last week. In the last seven days, I've had two or three, three guys tell me that, that were players in radio versus the world go, man... I want to race and I want to do that again. And I miss going to those races and it was some of the best times of my life, but I just don't want to spend that much money. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I just not ready to go. And part of it is that the professionals that have invaded these categories, the Stevie Jackson's of the world, the guys that come in, the, the Melanie Salemi's, the people that are part of these classes that have pro level race teams, sponsors, um, pro level crews, dedicated maintenance guys, dedicated crew chiefs. It's we're a, we're a world away from where we were five years ago when Daniel Ferris clicked off that 395 at 209, which would have been, I believe, a record setting speed at the time or damn near it. Like the first he was, I believe Tyler put in that post that shortly thereafter, Daniel went 210 and it was the first radial tire car pass over 210 miles per hour. And if you think about a 395 at 209 or 210 right now, those are yawn runs. And I don't, you know, mean no offense. I take, you know, please, faster than anything we've got. But it's still, it's just, it's, it's something that happens all the time. It's commonplace. It's not at all special. It's not at all unique. And I, the, the only thing I'll say as a sidebar to that is it's damn sure special and unique to the guy doing it. Right? Don't let me shortchange that. I've celebrate those milestones, celebrate those successes. If I've learned anything in my time here on planet earth, it's that we probably don't celebrate our incremental successes the way we should. So don't let me be the one to say that your first ever 3.9 second run, your first ever three second run isn't meaningful. It absolutely is. But when you're talking about the grand scheme of things in this overall conversation, let's be honest. I mean, the last few years, I think you've had to run faster than 380 to even qualify 
for for these fields. Crazy. So it is. It's absolutely insane. And it, it's I think it's an inevit- inevitability. Like it's not something that you can very difficult to write rules that are going to stop this. Right. I mean, when you're talking about a, an outlaw category that's max effort, that's running them, running the rods out of them, as Stevie Fast likes to say, when you take that type of mentality and that type of rule set, people are going to spend money. People are going to blow stuff up. Things are going to become disposable. Things that, you, you know, guys would go to the races with one engine and if they hurt something, they were going home. Now guys go to these events with two or three bullets in the trailer. And the manpower necessary to swap them out in 15, 20 minutes. Uh, it, it, times have changed rapidly. And I think it's put Pro 275 in a really, really unique spot. And I think you have to look at it positive. I mean, this is, these are all positives. But how cool is it that there is a continuation? And this, there's something to, to learn from it, right? I mean, I really think that the NHRA, for instance, could we not argue that Top Fuel and Funny Car are something of the NHRA's radio versus the world where it's just, it's burning itself up, right? I mean, we're just, the, the expense is so significant. The cars are so fast. The, the barrier to entry is so high, man. And kudos to Donald Long for doing what was necessary in terms of prize money, uh, pomp and circumstance, focus and energy from him. Kudos to Donald and his team for saying, hey, we got to be building up something else. We've got to be putting our effort and energy and our resources behind another category. And because the same problem is going to exist more than likely five, six, seven years down the road, maybe sooner, maybe longer, uh, that he's going to have to have something else that's built up, something else to swoop in and replace uh, perhaps Pro 275. So to book in that part of our conversation here today, um, I'm excited to see how things play out this coming weekend at lights out 12. It is very hard for me to believe that Donald and company have been uh, doing this song and dance for 12 years. And I'm super proud of them. I'm super happy for them. And I'm super appreciative for what they've contributed to the sport of drag racing. You look back at, you know, especially the last decade or so we've needed this, right? We've needed something to be the outlier, something to have people talking. And, And the thing that I found unique about Donald's events is their ability to cross boundaries, right? I I can't count the number of times I've gone to NHRA national events, either the week before, the week after, or the same weekend, perhaps as one of Donald's productions. And the talk of the pro pits is what's going on there. Hey, have you heard anything about what's going on in Valdosta? I I mean, and it's, it's not fans that are asking me these questions. It's like the crew chief for a top fuel car. They're screaming it. Yeah, they're watching it in the pits. Like, hey, you heard anything? Or did you see that? You know, it, it's that's unique, man, because I don't really think there's not too many races where that's going on. The, I can't think of many other events on the drag racing calendar that have people so tuned in while they're doing their own racing somewhere else, right? And that's, they should all be very proud of it. And again, I think I can speak on behalf of the entire sport of drag racing that you look at the participation, the aforementioned record number of pre-entries for Lights Out, what this event has meant for our sport, for manufacturers, for, I mean, what, what, what has this event meant to Mickey Thompson tires, for instance, what has this event meant for a lot of these small, uh, smaller chassis shops, you know, that, that couldn't break in to maybe build in pro stock or pro mod or top sportsman cars, but have become iconic or major players by way of RVW or X275 or pro 275. 
it's really incredible the opportunities. How many tuners? Innumerable. How many tuners have built their career, built their name and their notoriety between those concrete guard walls in, in Cecil, Georgia? Too many to list, too many to talk about here, right? These are guys that more than likely had regular jobs and were tuning cars on the side in 2007, 8, 9, 10, who are now full-time tuners, perhaps traveling the globe, tuning various people's cars. And I don't think it's fair. And I'm not trying to play fanboy here. I'm just saying, I don't think it's fair to not give lights out and radial tire racing in its current form credit. It's due for producing all these stars and cars and companies. It's without question that event has will those the radial tire movement, small tire movement, whatever you want to call it, will it is a landmark happening when uh, 50 years from now, when people are looking back on different things that have happened in the sport of drag racing, they're going to talk about, you know, the NHRA being founded in Wally Parks and the safety safari. They're, they're going to be talking about the different sanctions and series that popped up, uh, the, 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 the defections that happened over the years. They're going to talk about, I like to believe they're going to talk about things like Outlaw 10.5. I think they're going to talk about things like Pro Modified, you know, going from its top eight routes to but arguably one of the most popular classes in our sport. It is without question that the pop, the, the initial, the kind of launch, the birth of small tire racing and its massive leap to the top ranks of our sport. This is going to be talked about for years to come. And I'm excited to think that we've had a front row seat to it. I, you know, being whatever, how old am I? 36. I didn't get to see the the big funny car shows, right? I didn't get to see some of the heyday of pro stock. I feel like I saw kind of the tail end of the heyday of pro stock. I mean, there are probably people that would argue that we're in the heyday of pro stock, but the really the glory years, the the Bob Glidden years, the Lee Shepard years, et cetera, et cetera. I, I didn't get to witness that stuff firsthand. And I will always be thankful that I've gotten to witness the birth of some of these these stars and, and some of these different sanctions and series. It's been really, really cool to say, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish on, I saw Big Daddy Dwayne Guttridge make a post on Facebook as well the other day that there was a clip out of an, a, an old magazine article talk, calling him the drag radial god. And he made this post and it was very candid talking about how he was ridiculed the only reason he put radial radials on his car was he couldn't compete in the other classes. He he wasn't good enough to compete in Pro 5.0, right? Which is, you know, many people already knows, those of you tuned in hardcores know Pro 5.0 was always the, the Ford racing world's top fuel, the highest, highest level class. And people bagged on this guy. Big Daddy took a beating for for moving away from that and going, you know what, this radial tire thing's gonna happen. This is a this is this is the future. This is where our sport's going. This is what people want. This is what I want. This is the type of racing that I want to do. And his contribution to that movement cannot be understated. And it's just crazy. I hope he feels a little bit of pride uh, or a whole lot of pride for being that early adopter, right? That, that guy that was first on the scene and look at where it is now. Uh, very, very high profile drag racing. I and mean, I've talked, I've spent many hours talking to the people at like Flow Racing, the, our streaming partner actually for the fast approaching C-Tech manufacturing world door slammer nationals presented by JEGS. How much lights out in Donald Long's events mean to companies like that? 
that those events are are valuable properties that people want and need to, to be involved with and, and want to, to have the opportunity to share with others. So huge kudos to that whole camp, man. And we will, uh, we will carry on. I do think that this is a great, um, I've managed the graphics there for you. Sorry, murder tundra. I'm, I'm stealing your job. You can, I appreciate it. it Appreciate it. It's a pretty cool segue for us because we can talk about how the rapid growth and the rapid rise of po- in popularity of radial tire racing and then talk about what's going on right now in NASCAR and the Daytona 500. Uh, again, in conversation with our editorial team here at the magazine this morning, talking to our art director or actually chief operations officer, Mike Carpenter, talking to Nate Van Wagner, our editor in chief, and of course, our senior editor, Josh Hatchett, this morning about the Daytona 500. I'll be the first to admit I didn't watch any of it. Um, just not really a big NASCAR guy, never have been. And it's not, I I mean, I probably should watch it just to support, um, but I just didn't. It it was obviously hampered with delays and weather issues and wrecks and whatever else, but kind of looking through the headlines this early this week, one that stuck out to us was that the Daytona 500 viewership hit a 20 year low, 20 year low. I'd like to throw this next graphic up on the screen, Murder Tundra, and we'll switch right back. But if you go back to 2006, the Daytona 500 enjoyed nearly nearly 20 million viewers, uh, a high inside of the last 20 years. Here in 2021, 4.8 million viewers. If you look at this graph, you'll notice it's just a steady decline. There are a few outliers there. I look at like 2006, I believe, Murder Tundra, you may be able to speak with a little bit more authority on this, but talking to the gang, that was kind of in full Dale Jr. swing, right? Dale right. And then they, Jr., he's they a, lost a lot of people. real star and then, power, right? And other people too, you know, I mean, they lost, they lost a lot of talent, a lot of uh, uh, big names all at once. And I'd say that's probably where your dip was there. You know, and then it well, maybe if you go to like 2013, bit. if you go to 2013, that's the Danica Patrick bump. So th- there's a couple takeaways for me here. And it's just that how dependent these sports are on transcendent stars. Because, I mean, the only thing to buck that trend really was Danica showing up. And you get some casual fans, some people, some GoDaddy commercial watching people or whatever that, that have a passing interest or have an interest in her, not necessarily an interest in motorsports, and they check out the race that weekend. But you can see that that wasn't something that NASCAR was able to maintain. And I look at you know, my takeaway from this and what I think it means for the sport of drag racing really is kind of going back to what we we're talking about with John Force, how important it is to have stars and how important it is to have some sort of developmental program to obviously I know NASCAR is ahead of the curve when it comes to that type of things uh, there, they have departments that are dedicated to nurturing stars and kind of finding talent and, and training them and, and arming them and equipping them with the, the experience and information that they need to, to be a star and to do an interview and to be on TV and to, to work with corporate America and to be a, a, a marketable persona all those things are in place with NASCAR, to the best of my knowledge, and they still struggle, right? They still struggle. And it's just so important for all of us to just take stock of the fact of when you have stars and when you have some people that are needle movers, you got to wrap them up. you got to pour fuel on that fire. you got to do anything you can to ride that wave because I don't know that there's any other way to produce it. I mean, it the, these things, we've seen it happen in so many sports. I mean, what would... I mean, the NBA, there's one very interesting exception to this rule, and that's the NFL. 
find it very interesting. And it's just that team dynamic is so strong and people's allegiance to their city or their state, um, their color, it's just so strong. I think there's one sport that kind of exists in our stratosphere that is somewhat immune, bulletproof to this type of problem, right? Because the, the, the Chiefs are always going to be the stars of Missouri, no matter whether they have Patrick Mahomes or not. Now, you'll see them bump when they've got a Patrick Mahomes. It's gravy. It's the cherry on top of what's an already very successful. It wasn't like Arrowhead Stadium wasn't selling out when the Chiefs sucked because it was. So people loved right. the Chiefs, you know, and it's, and it's only just intensified. All these other sports, though, we're almost all massively – massively, uh, what's the word, dependent on some sort of transcendent star. We, I mean, there have been lulls in the NBA where there hasn't been a, 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 a super popular guy or a guy that really cut through uh, and, and the sport has suffered for it, right? And I think that you look at the UFC right now, kind of lat- that their big star is Conor McGregor, a guy who hasn't fought in like a year. I mean, he fought recently, but prior to that, they were just biding their time to get to the next Conor McGregor fight so they can be big and relevant and, and a powerhouse yet again. But you have to be developing these stars, and it's it's not easy. I don't know that we can come on here and say that we have the recipe for it, but I think the knowledge that it's important is a big start, is a big head start. Just knowing that you have to be you have to be sc- scooping this talent up. You have to be finding these people. Maybe you have to go outside the box a little bit. Maybe NASCAR is going to be ch- – maybe they're going to have to bring some people in from other walks of the motorsports life. I'm not sure. I certainly have pitched that for a long time when it comes to drag racing. What can we do to ensure that Tony Stewart, multi-time NASCAR world champion, certainly a celebrity, um, an A-list sports celebrity, what can we do to ensure that he ends up racing top fuel? We need to make sure that happens. It's important, right? Because there's no telling what his involvement could do for the sport of drag racing as a whole. I think the takeaway or what I would like to say that I'm learning from it, or I hope that our sport learns from it is just that when you have them go all in with them for the people, I literally had a call, I believe it was late last week and it was a, a typical kind of content call. I call them where I'm talking to a racer or whatever, and they're, they're needing some ink or they're needing some publicity. And like the first thing they say is like, Everybody gives all the, you know, Stevie Jackson gets all the headlines. Everybody wants to talk about Stevie or everybody wants to talk about Alex Laughlin. Everybody wants to talk about Erica or everybody wants to talk about John Ford. You know, that there's a reason for that, right? Because they move the needle that we, you have to do that. When those things, when those people exist, you have to do that. You have to ride their coattail to some extent because they've managed to cut through and we don't know what the recipe is for that. No one has figured out the immediate way to replicate that, right? No one knows. There's not things that we can pick up and throw in a blender and go, boom, it's the next superstar. It's the next John Force. We don't know. And what's tough for us, you know, the unique position, eh, not totally unique, but somewhat unique to drag racing is that a lot of the guys that have the charisma, that have the star power, that have the look, that, that have the ability, that have the actual talent and courage required to be successful, they ain't got the money. Right. So you, so they're on the sidelines. They're not even involved. Right. I mean, this is a a, a fantastic opportunity to dive into another topic with Austin Proc. Part of that John Force Racing press release that we saw early this week, 
there was a glaring exception. There was something, and it was mention of Austin Proc and what happens to him. This is a reigning NHRA rookie of the year, right? The son of a celebrated championship crew chief, a guy that's a second generation racer, has the look, has the ability, has Don Schumacher, the, or excuse me, Don the Snake Prodome in his ear and kind of providing, uh, playing the role of mentor. Like all these things are lining up. Here we go. He, he's missing that one thing. He's got all the intangibles. He's got the ability. He's winning races. He's the rookie of the year. He, he's, he's, got, he's got it. Guy's well-built, in shape, clean cut, all these things. Doesn't have the bread required, right? Doesn't have the money behind him required to, to stay in the mix. How bad is it for the sport of drag racing that we have top drivers, top talents like this on the sidelines? This is a real problem. How, how do we fix that? I think that you look at the ROI, the, the, you look at the return on investment that's provided to some of these sponsors and, and you need to do some dissecting of the numbers and go, man, we're clearly, there's no reason in the world in any other, in any other sport, if a really talented winning, like has a resume that reflects winning. Now there's instances where a guy that has promise or has potential will get overlooked or be on the outside looking in, right? That happens on in sports quite frequently. But if you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes is not going to be a free agent for five seconds. The guy's right. got a ring on his record. And I'm not trying to make compare Austin Proc to Patrick Mahomes, but I am trying to say that here's a young guy that's got all the intangibles, has the ability, has a track record, has won. Early on, kind of the scuttlebutt behind the scenes was that Austin, until a sponsor was secured or what have you, he was going to be like the test pilot for John Force Racing. That was kind of what we were hearing um, insiders were talking is that he was going to serve as a team test pilot. I mean, if this guy is worthy of being your test mule and worthy of being the guy that drives the car in, in one of your driver's absence or whatever, I mean, it's crazy to think that he's just going to be jobless. That just doesn't happen in baseball or basketball or football. It doesn't happen. Now, granted, if they've got a, a rap sheet that includes a bunch of arrests or something. I guess maybe there's some exception to this rule, but I really do wonder what are we going to have to do as a sport, as the sport or as a sport, cheesy peasy, to ensure that the best drivers are racing. The, the most talented, most competitive guys are racing. And that's the unique challenge that exists in our sport is that it's so expensive. The barrier to entry in some instances is so high that You've got guys like this that show immense talent, immense promise, have have a personality, good on the mic, willing to play that game. That's another thing that happens a lot, too, is that you get guys that have all those things, but they're not willing to play the part. Because this is a becoming a John Force, becoming a Stevie Jackson, that's a conscious decision that doesn't happen by accident. And I've seen it happen many, many times when I see a guy that's that's got the charisma He's got a lot of those aforementioned intangibles, got good equipment, but he's also got a full-time job or he's got a business. So he's never going to be able to put the energy into being a star or to being a personality or a character that someone like Stevie is, right? That's another thing that like, don't think these guys don't have a list the same way they treat maintenancing the car. That's every bit as important as going live on Facebook or uploading this week's YouTube video, right? They know like we gotta, we gotta check those rod bearings, and then we gotta film the Q and A. Like it's a it's a high priority item, 
And most of the guys that aren't earning their living in the sport of drag racing, guys that are doing this as a hobby, flying in or what have you, they're too busy Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday to do that type of stuff. They're busy running their, their businesses or, or running their companies. So such a uniquely difficult, uniquely challenging situation. And again, it's where I, I think that the NHRA has got some figuring out to do as to how you can make if Top Fuel and Funny Car are going to remain the, the centerpiece of the NHRA's sports entertainment property, what can be done to increase the inventory of cars? What can be done to lower the barrier to entry? Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not here to have that conversation today. I think it'd be a fun one to have. Uh, and maybe we can do that in the future as like a live Q&A. And I'd love to hear people's opinions because this is one that goes beyond the scope of, of kind of simple understanding, right? There's, there's a lot, there are people that argue the way that you do this is by slowing the cars down and that's with smaller engines and that's with less nitro or that's with smaller fuel pumps or that's with single mag or that's with all this technical type of stuff, right? Less track prep, um, tire changes. There's, there, there's all that downforce situations. Let's put smaller wings on the car. Let's, there's, there's all that technical approach, but then there's like the economic slash production side of like, man, maybe we need to run way less races. Tough, maybe tough just, situation. Maybe they just need to get paid when they win. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I'm maybe they need you, to run. If for I had to, you know, like, if I crazy. had to point, if nobody wants to hear this, right. Because it gets a conversation going. That's not fun to have, but if you pay these people, they'll come. It, it, it's not, it's not that easy, but I'm telling you, it's a difference maker. It's a difference maker. If you can at least make a guy believe that it's worth it, if you can make a guy feel good about it, that's all you need to do. And I think that that's something that is being slept on. A little bit of street lingo there, right? I'm, I'm, I'm rough. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. I like it. You know, I'm rough. <laughs> you know, um, I'm cool. I'm hip. But what people are sleeping on is, by and large, is that I don't think you got to. No one is asking the NHRA or anyone else to make this stuff make financial sense. That's no one's asking for that. No one's asking for top fuel drag racing to be like a booming moneymaker. Am I right? No one's asking for that. But let's make it not so stupid. Not let's make it not so painful. Let's make it less ugly. And and that can be done. This has been talked about for years. These are not necessarily like original or groundbreaking new thoughts. We've got to be paying the champions of these categories a million dollars. It has to be done. If you're winning NHRA Top Fuel World Championships and you're not putting a million dollars in your pocket, it is a crime. It's criminal. And I, for my two cents or for what it's worth, that has to be paying racers more has to be a big part. Now, again, we can have a big conversation about this and I would love to do it. And again, I love reading these comments um, and seeing what people have, because there's a lot of smart folks out there, right? There's a lot of people that have a lot of experience there. And this is something that's always boggled my mind is when you look in the pits of an NHRA professional drag race, the pits are filled with people that are multimillionaires, if not billionaires that have built huge companies and toppled massive barriers, right? Who have, have bucked trends and everything else that have defied the odds. So there's a, there's a group of people here that I'm almost certain could work together to 
lay a foundation or pave the path or whatever you want to say, trailblaze for the future, right? What's it going to look like? There, I think an argument can be made for less races. I think an argument can be made for slowing the cars down. I don't think the cars have to go 330 miles an hour. I don't think the thrill, the spectacle on the track is any different when the cars go 300 versus 339. I don't. The, I, I don't... You'd be hard pressed for any anybody to eyeball a run that's 305 to 330, right? And say that that was a way better run. The the, the thrill, the, the header flames, all the things that you're leaning into, all you need is that three. It has to be 300. It has that has to be the goal, right? And I, what are some other numbers that are really significant in stick and ball sports? Uh, JT? Well, I was I was just gonna say here real quick. You know, just just for instance, so the Daytona 500, you know, in 2020, you know, last year, they spent uh, over twenty three million dollars in payouts per purse. And the winner uh, in 2020 received two point zero six million dollars. You know, I and I'm just saying that, you know, one more time. Could you repeat that? Murder Sunday. So the winner of the Daytona 500 earned two million dollars, roughly over over two million. And the uh, total purse was twenty three point six million. Okay, so in, in interestingly, that's a fifth of the NHRA's revenue. So let, let's like that, mm -hmm. that's an impossibility, right? Let's let's just accept yep. that that's we're not there yet. However, I would argue that whoever won the Daytona 500 last year and won that two plus million dollars, that wasn't enough money to like make it all make sense. You know what I mean? Like they probably sure helped though, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, sure <laughs> helped. They they spent they probably spent fifty million. Right. But they won two and it was just it was enough that it was meaningful. But when you start talking about five grand, six grand, 10 grand, 20 grand, you're I don't mean to be mean, but you're spitting in these guys and gals faces. I mean, they probably spent more on that in diesel fuel this weekend. Right. Right. They probably have more in hotel rooms than that. It's not even making a dent. We're not even close, right? You're not even on the, and it's too bad because that, that the, the, the cost of the sport and the, the, the readily available prize money, it's just, a, and I'm sure that there are historians and statisticians that would argue that that's always going to be the case. And I'm, I'm certain that it will be, but it's the gap has gotten so wide that I find it insurmountable. You want to, you want to talk about what the magic bullet might be. You want to figure out how you can bring the, I've heard people say, and I've argued against this because I've been going to the NHRA US Nationals for, I think, I don't keep track of this type of stuff the way that I should, but I don't know, a long time, 10, 15 plus years in a row, right? And I've had people tell me that it's not what it once was. It doesn't have the same air. It doesn't have the same aura. I've argued against that. I If you go, you and you don't feel it, you're, you're dead. Check your pulse, right? <laughs> there, there's, there's an air, there's something about Indy, right? But I will admit that it's probably not what it could be if we were racing for crazy money. Like there, you cannot, there's nothing you can do. There's no trophy, there's no ring, there's no leather jacket. There's no, there's nothing you can do from a promotional perspective that can replace big money, number, life-changing numbers, numbers that 
have significance outside the walls of the racetrack, right? Mm -hmm. Murder Tundra, and you and I have talked about this a lot right here on the show, that one of the things we found in our efforts to promote the World Series of Pro Mod in Denver, Colorado, out at Vandermeer Speedway, we found it very quickly. Murder Tundra and I spent weeks going around to radio stations, TV stations, calling people, calling early morning drive radio shows and et cetera and what have you. And both of us were always – we would come back to this kind of funny thing that all they, want, all they care about is the fact we're racing for 100 grand. They haven't, right. asked yeah. any, they haven't asked any questions about the cars. They haven't asked any question about how fast they are. They're just infatuated with, for, about the number. Man, mm -hmm. they're racing for a lot of money. Hundred grand's a lot of money. That's, and it's just one of those things that the sport of drag racing at our highest level is missing. And it's, and it's, it's, it continues to be interesting in that we've seen plenty of things in the sport of drag racing inside of the last 12 months. I think we saw at least $3 million bracket races. But these weren't things that were hitting this cover of Sports Illustrated or being broadcast on ESPN or Fox Sports or whatever. They, because so you can't just do one thing. You have to have the, you have to have all of it. And what I want to, I want the NHRA to know is they've got most of it. They've got a incredible group of people. They've got mm -hmm. people from every different walk of life. That J.R. Todd, Sean Langdon. Um, these people like J.R. Todd, a young African-American guy, clean cut, good looking, super well-spoken world champion. This guy should be beating sponsors off with a stick. I mean, he should be. There's, it, it, it defies logic. It's, it's crazy to me. But Leah Pritchett, holy crap, right? Pretty, tall, uh, super talented, wins races, has all this experience, hands on on a Papa John's pizza box in a commercial, like this is a superstar just waiting to be unleashed on the world, right? We have all men and women. What other sport has such parity and such competition amongst men and women, right? What other sport could Leah Pritchett beat Matt Hagen at anything, right? If Leah Pritchett and Matt Hagen had to compete in pro wrestling, she's in trouble. They had to compete at cricket. <laughs> she's probably in trouble. They have to do a long ball drive contest. She's probably in trouble. I'm not trying to shortchange the girl. I know she's athletic, but it's so unique and it's something we should be so proud of. I mean, I can't wait for my daughter, Sophia, to recognize that drag race, this is, this is a place where it doesn't matter if she's big and strong or super fat. It doesn't, it's, it, it's less important. She can hone her skills behind the wheel and she can compete against boys and other girls and whatever, right? It's such an incredible thing. And I think it's genuinely, it's a huge selling point for the sport of drag racing. And to say all those things, to say 11,000 horsepower, to say 300 miles per hour, to say um, international flair, right? We have people from all different, all around the world. We have um, young, old, I have established men and women, different race, creeds, colors, religions, I'm sure, all here doing battle on a level playing field. Uh, the only thing we're missing are those dollar signs. That really yeah. feels like we've got a puzzle laid out and it's spectacular, right? It's indie in August at night or at dusk and the sun is, or you know, the skies are orange and there's two cars in the water box and the nitro fumes are hanging in the air and the stands are packed full of people. Guess what? I've got goosebumps. <laughs> I it, it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's so perfect, but we're missing a puzzle piece. And that puzzle piece, in my opinion, 
is not making this, not an amount of money that's going to make drag racing make financial sense overnight, but an amount of money that gets people's attention, feels representative of the effort and investment required to be successful. It just has to be a meaningful amount of money. And unfortunately, when you've got billionaire teenagers, like the, the Kardashian girl or whatever, like when you, when we all know, and money's so talked about now, you know what I mean? Like everybody, everybody talks about everybody's net worth and how much people make and how much people lose and how big this company is and how big that company is, right? We, we, we have to play ball. That's just part of it these days. And I think maybe they're the professionals, be, they're the professionals, right? And in most instances, many instances, you can go race outside of the NHRA for more money than you can within there against probably much stiffer competition. Like there's no place you're going to go have to work harder to win than in the NHRA. It's a, it's a, fishing, it's a fish tank full of sharks. I mean, no matter what class you enter at an NHRA national event, you're competing against the best in the world. Everybody there is good, really, really good. And it just seems shameful that you can go to a race a hundred miles down the road or whatever, and probably not have to race against as many of those aforementioned sharks, but do it and do it for way more money. It's a problem. And I, it could be something that I think it's probably problematic that we, that those purse numbers for the, um, the NASCAR race, the Daytona 500 you were just talking about, I think that should be more publicized. I don't know that NASCAR par perhaps part of that decline or something that they could do to at least steady it or slow it in the search for a, the next Dale Jr. or the next whomever, uh, maybe publicizing the purse money is something that they've slept on. I mean, I know that I found it very interesting the, the way the UFC is so forward with, I mean, for a private company, I find it very interesting that at every UFC press conference, they talk about the tickets, how many tickets they sold, the gate revenue. So we sold 17,876 tickets. It was a sellout. Our revenue at the gate was 3.6 million. You know, I mean, they don't talk about pay-per-view buys and they don't talk about all the nuances and the ins and outs of their business, but they're pretty forward with that stuff. They want mm -hmm. money, people to know that. They want people to know that, hey, we, we sold 20,000 tickets to this event. We did 3.5 million at the gate. We're a big deal, right? And we've got to start playing the part. That's, that has served me and our, our companies and, and our events more so than perhaps anything else is just being willing to hang those big numbers out there, right? And, and know that, that it's the cost of doing business. Like I'm tasked with the World Door Slammer Nationals as an example. We're very blessed to have a, a, a so many incredible partners. Of course, SeaTech Manufacturing being the number one. Um, but of course, JEGS, Lucas Oil, uh, PDI, Performance Diesel Incorporated, um, the lit True Leave, the list, there's, they're almost innumerable. Uh, and I'm, we're so blessed. But we go into this knowing that we've got to pay big money. We can't wait to pay the big money until we know that we're going to make a bunch of money. We got to start with paying big money. We're not going to get big money from our sponsors. We're not going to get big interest. We're not going to get, nothing else is going to be big if the purse ain't big. That right. the purse has to be big. And I'm sure there are exceptions to that rule. I know that we, we see it from time to time when, you know, a trophy 
you know, the Stanley Cup has so much significance and so much history. I mean, we saw the uh, what's it called? The, the NFL trophy, the Vincent L- the Lombardi trophy. Hell, it made headlines this week. Tom Brady tossed the thing from boat to boat and pisses off the whole <laughs> world. Apparently, that's how important that trophy is. Right. But I'll tell you what. Uh, don't sleep on the fact that Tom Brady had a $2 million bonus in his clause for winning the Super Bowl. Don't think that didn't, that wasn't in his mind. Of course he wants to win no matter what, no matter what, but things like that, numbers like that change things. And you'll see it March 5th, 6th and 7th in Orlando, Florida during the SeaTech World Door Slammer Nationals presented by Jags. You will see how much that money changes things. You'll see racers red light who never red light. You'll see guys playing starting line games that never play starting line games, right? You'll see people win on hole shots that have never won on a hole shot because that level, that money, and we're not even talking about millions or hundreds of thousands. We're talking about a combined $125,000 in drag racing. That's Buku. That's mega bucks, right? That's the the Powerball, basically. So it's incredible how much... Go ahead. Get, the, get this. Josh Hatchett just said the, in uh, 2016, Jimmy Johnson made $16 million just from race purses. I mean, that's nuts. I need a mic to drop it. Right? I mean, it's, <laughs> and and I, I think that it's very easy for these conversations to go awry and it become about we need to be thankful for what we have and not what we don't and, and blah, blah, blah. And we've got – you'll never see anyone more – promoter centric than me. I'm a, I'm a, a, I think that I am, I hate the way promoters are oftentimes treated. You you find a successful promoter, a promoter that's made a little bit of money and it's incredible how quickly that person becomes a a no good SOB, right? Right. They're because they're making money off these racers and it's, it's a, it's a tragedy, right? You'll never hear me say that because I know how important successful promoters are to the sport of drag racing. I know that these things must exist in harmony, right? The racers need promoters to put on events and to reinvest in their facilities and the tracks and, and increase the purses and everything else that's required, right? We, they need one another. So you'll never hear me, you'll never hear me say shame on NHRA for trying to be profitable. I mean, it's a whole other conversation because of the nonprofit status that part of the company has, but um, that's a conversation for another day, but you'll never hear me mad at anybody for, for wanting to make money. You have to make money. These events have to make money. That's a big part. That's one of the big problems that exist in drag racing is that all these things are expected to exist as charities and they cannot, it's not realistic. So don't interpret what I'm saying about purse money as me saying the NHRA needs to give it all back to the racers. Not at all, but I'm telling you this. If you can pay the president of the series or these board members hundreds of thousands of dollars, there's no, there's literally no valid explanation for why you can't play your world champions every bit as much, if not more. It, you, it, it is a, it defies all logic. It makes zero sense. It looks bad. Perception matters. These things matter. And it is problematic when your competitors and your superstars go into every season knowing that they couldn't win every race and win every bonus or whatever and make as much as the guys that are on the board of directors. Yep. I agree. That's that. I just think that it looks bad and, and never more so than now here in 2020, how things look matters. 
Do you agree, Murder Tundra? I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, yes. people are so worried about what they put on their Twitter because how it looks matters, right? I mean, yeah. it, or where they, what they put on Facebook. I mean, people are, everything you almost have to run through like a double check, triple check system in your mind before you say it out loud or before you put it out in the open or before you put it on social media. Or even if you say it sometimes in the comfort of your own home, you don't know who's recording. You don't yeah, know who's right? shooting yeah. video. Um, everybody's got a video cam, a high definition video camera connected to the World Wide Web in their pocket. It's a wild time to be alive, wild time to operate. So you need to have sense enough to know that how this stuff looks, even if there's an explanation, even if there's a way to make it make sense, it looks bad. It, it does. looks bad. It really and bad. I think that that's something that, and honestly, Murder Tundra, kudos to you for for making that. For, for saying that so early in this conversation, because I think it could have easily, I would have been happy to talk about, we need less races. Maybe we need to not make so many runs. Maybe we need to go to eight car fields, whatever. There's a lot of conversation that can be had around what we do to fix that, uh, fix the, it the situations that exist at the highest level of our sport with, in terms of participation. And I know that I'll probably get some texts after this going, Poo, we're trying, we're doing this or whatever. And, and, and it's, it's great. And no one's saying otherwise. But these are the healthy discussions that have to be had that, unfortunately, it would seem people haven't been willing to have out in the open because we operate, by and large, this whole industry with a scarcity mindset that, that I mean, you hear all these horror stories about people stealing sponsors and everything else. And it's that all stems from a scarcity mindset. Everybody thinking that the last that deal is the last deal they're ever going to have, and there's never going to be another one, right? Well, history tells us that's not the case. Sponsors come, sponsors go, racers come, racers go. It's it's part of it's part of life, right? We have to, but if you want to identify a single magic bullet esque item that could significantly impact the trajectory of our sport when it comes to professional racing. Look no further than paying them the money they deserve. Yep. All right. I want to dive into here the last uh, – yeah, let's blow through these real quick. I, obviously, I would love to have uh, spent a little bit more time discussing these things, but we've had a slew of successes inside the last couple of weeks, and I want to share them with you. The SeaTech World Door Slammer Nationals presented by Jags coming up March 5th, 6th, and 7th at Orlando Speed World Dragway, the house that Ozzy and Maria Moya built. This event is we the momentum we have right now is I believe defying all odds. I truly believe it. What's going to happen down here in Orlando is is special. We're we're on a mission to make drag racing history, and the way that's going to happen and the way we've gotten to this point is by way of incredibly passionate partners. And I use the word partners not as a buzzword, not as a, a marketing slant, not as a play on words. It, we're, we're out here selling sponsorships. There's no doubt about it. We're selling sponsorships to an event. But the people that have jumped on board, either come to us or welcomed us in with open arms, they're people we see as partners because they share the vision. They're invested. They, they understand what we're trying to do with the Door Slammer Nats. They understand that we're trying to shine a light on real deal racers, cars that look like cars, people that have never had the opportunity to compete for this type of money or compete with this amount of fanfare and sizzle and pomp and circumstance. And they get it. And PDI, Performance Diesel Incorporated, um, out of Utah is a perfect example of someone who shares our passion 
for car culture, shares our passion for the automotive industry, and is excited to be involved with us. They've come on board as a major sponsor for the next three years, which has done so much for the World Door Slammer Nationals. So many of our partnerships are long-term deals, and that is something that I believe is fairly unique in the sport of drag racing and something that I'm especially proud of is that these are people and companies and brands and, and manufacturers that that see the long game. They see what we're trying to accomplish. They see where we're going. They see what has already happened and they wanna be a part of it. They wanna be a part of doing something good for the sport of drag racing. My personal vision for this event is that a high tide lifts all boats. What we're doing here will permeate. The, the amount of intention and energy and enthusiasm will extend to others parts of our sport and we'll, it will impact vendors it'll impact manufacturers we'll see cars be built we'll see engines be freshened up we'll see turbos be purchased blowers be per we'll see people investing and spending more money because they want to be a part of events like this i will say it's no secret we've talked about it for a half hour paying big money seventy-five thousand to win in pro mod fifty thousand to win in uh, excuse me seventy-five thousand to win in pro stock fifty thousand to win in pro mod a combined one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars in winner purse for those two categories alone, not to mention 10,000 to win in top sportsman, 10,000 to win in comp eliminator, 10,000 to win in our stock super stock combo category. I mean, 10,000 to win in our factory shootout category. I, those numbers are meaningful to racers, right? And, it, and we may have, we could talk a little bit about how it pales in comparison to what's going on with NASCAR, but we're not NASCAR, not yet, right? But I believe that drag racing can have a NASCAR-esque sport property there can be a look no further than the street outlaws and, and what they've achieved on network television. The interest is out there. It is. People love this stuff. People love a speed contest. It's as American as apple pie. And the people such as PDI, I'd like for you to go ahead and switch to the next uh, frame, Murder Tundra. Lucas Oil coming on board as the official oil of the SeaTech World Door Slammer Nationals presented by Jags. This is a, these are seismic happenings. Right? These are people getting on board with this event that see where it's headed, see what we're trying to do here in the sport of drag racing, and they see and respect and appreciate that we're putting money back in the hands of racers. They see it. They know it. we go into these meetings, we go into these conversations, letting them know that we're here to serve racers. This event is, is designed to serve racers and treat these this particular group of racers with a level of care and concern and appreciation that for the most part, they have never previously experienced. It's something I take great pride in. Um, I just hung up the phone before we went live with one of my pro stock racers that was calling and asking some questions about uh, uh, parking and whatnot. And it was just such a unique experience and a unique conversation because he was so appreciative that we were going to listen to some of his needs regarding parking. Right. And I think about that's all I had to do to make this guy happy. That, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Right. And but it was so unique for him. He didn't he hardly knew what to say. Wait, you're going to let me park by then? Oh, well, shoot, I was all worried to call. You know, I didn't want to upset the apple cart. And it's just and I'm just not to go down the rabbit hole of, of those things. But I just those that's the type of experience. And that's what I believe racers deserve. Um, door slammer drag racers, specifically a category of drag racing, a brand of racing that I believe can carry us into the future and can can put us on the map with mainstream sports, cars that look like cars driven by authentic race car drivers, real deal, concrete asphalt cowboys. We've got them and we've got them in spades. And I just think that I'm, I want everyone to know 
especially, you know, we've got a long list of sponsors to think. And every week as we move closer and closer to the race, we're going to continue to talk about these people that are involved with the race. You can, of course, log on to dragillustrated.com and find out a lot more about a lot of these companies. Head over to doorslammernats.com if you'd like, and you can learn more about our sponsors and more of the inner workings of our race. But I just want to give a huge tip of the cap to uh, Jared, Sean, Michelle, everybody at PDI. They've been so excited. They're bringing out a huge Super sick Peterbilt that's slammed and a big 53-foot trailer and a display. So excited to have PDI on the midway to be there. These people make products not for like your, your, your local diesel truck guy, but for big trucks, toter homes, motor homes, and they are the world leader. So it's really incredible to have secured a partnership with a company that's kind of outside of the, the, the drag racing box. Right. It, it, for me, it was very unique to deal with people that, that didn't have a ton of experience activating or displaying at a drag race. Most of their events were at truck shows and most of their experience, I mean, were at truck shows and various trucking events. So it was cool. It feels really good to bring some new blood into high level drag racing. Lucas Oil, what can you say about Forrest and Charlotte Lucas, Morgan Lucas, their son, Brandon Bernstein, who was recently uh, named the motorsports marketing uh, manager for Lucas Oil incredible group of people that, again, share our passion. They share our passion. They share our vision for the sport of drag racing, and they couldn't wait to be involved. For me, I've, I've waited my whole life to say that we had like a, an official oil or we've had a whatever, an official whatever. And, and to see that status and that title be so valuable to, uh, to Lucas Oil and that team, it just makes me swell with pride. And I, I couldn't be more excited about it and more uh, wound up about what the future holds for this event specifically and uh, everybody that's involved with it, man. I mean, who would have thought, really? Murder Tundra. We yeah. had an official oil. It's right? crazy, right? Lucas yeah. Oil named official oil of SeaTech. It's even weird to read it because it just feels like stuff that's that, that we don't I – I don't know. You know what I mean? Like that feels like stuff that happens in Formula One. You know, that feels like stuff that happens in, in the NFL or Major League Baseball. And to, to have signed a partnership with a company with the track record, the, the beloved kind of rabid customer base that Lucas Oil does is, man, uh, hand on my heart. It's just one of, it's a real high for, for all of us involved. So, uh, JT, I think we're down to the last five minutes. Let's, uh, if you've got any question, let's dive into them. Otherwise, we'll shut this bad boy down and live to talk about drag racing another day. Before I do, remember, check out doorslammernats.com if you want to buy VIP tickets for the World Door Slammer Nationals. We're about 20 days away. This event will sell out. VIP tickets, without question, will sell out. And if you want to take in the best drag race ever from a vantage point that you will likely not be able to replicate anywhere else in the country, you better buy a VIP ticket to the... Um, Door Slammer Nationals. Thanks for throwing this question up there. Craig Cook, longtime contributor to Drag Illustrated Magazine. Um, how many total cars are you expecting on the property? Going to be huge. To be honest, I think we're looking at a, you know, a full field of pro stock cars um, for sure. I, I anticipate our pro mod car count to be over 30. Uh, so I think that combined between pro stock and pro mod, you're looking at 50 plus cars, uh, which is obviously very exciting for all of us involved. You're looking... I would ex ask, tell you to expect the best of the best. The coolest part about this deal, especially if you are a fan, is that it's such a unique atmosphere. Very rarely, it's like having Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz or, or Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor fight at your local bar. 
I mean, it's one thing to watch them fight <clears throat> at Madison Square Garden. Very cool, right? But it's a whole other thing to watch them fight in your basement. And it's pretty right. cool that we bring in the biggest names, the most accomplished door slammer drag racers the sport has ever known, and we bring them to the ultimate Saturday night drag strip, Orlando Speed World Dragway, and let it all hang out. And it's you can ask these drivers, call Jed Coughlin Jr., call Alex Laughlin, call them, ask them. Ask them what they think about that atmosphere and what they think about that environment. It's awesome to go to a super track. It's awesome to go to these Taj Mahal facilities like Z-Max Dragway in Charlotte, the, the legendary Bandamere Speedway in Denver, Colorado. It's Norwalk, Summit Raceway, uh, Summit, what's it called? Summit Motorsports Park um, up there in, in uh, Norwalk, Ohio, excuse me, I'm stumbling around. Uh, those, have, those tracks are spectacular, right? But it's just a different thing when you bring people that are accustomed to racing at venues like that and you bring them to a honky tonk and it's tons of fun. I encourage you to come out and be a part of it. Car count for comp eliminator, top sportsman, um, stock, super stock factory shootout has really been incredible. We weren't sure how all that would we, we went into this going that we knew we wanted to do it regardless. Uh, Richard Freeman and I, uh, from elite Motorsports, obviously deeply involved with this event. And we talked about it early on, like, when you include those classes, like, are we going to be, what kind of participation are we going to get? And I remember Richard looking at me and go, who cares? We know we need to do it. Like, and, and he's right. We need to put these classes on the playbill, pay them what they, they deserve, give them an opportunity to race and get treated like this and be celebrated and have fun doing it. They deserve it. And so we didn't, we never went into this with the mindset of like, oh, we've got to have 176 cars to make the math work out. We've never went into it with the back gate being the focal point. We want to put on a show. We're, we're going to have a drag race no matter what. And I found that some of the best, here's what I'll leave you guys with. We're going to have the best drag race ever the first weekend of March, whether you're there or not. It's, right. it's happening. There's nothing that can stop it. And I, I think sometimes people need to hear that. It's not it's funny, right? Because what you expect people to say is like, oh, we need you to come. We need, you, you gotta be there. It, it goes without saying at this point, this is gonna happen. It's gonna change the game. It, it already has. And your loss, if you're not there, if you don't, if you don't make the investment, you don't take the time, you don't make it a priority. I, I don't know what to say to you. We did our part. We, we put the money up. We brought the people together. We have incredible staff from our team from our technical department led by Lonnie Grimm and Brock Carzoli, these guys that we sought out the best, right? We sought out the best race directing uh, partners. We, we, everything we do, all the pieces are there. And if you don't want to go, if you're not going to participate, eh, you're lost. I'm going. You better. <laughs> I'm like, well, the hell is going to hang all these banners. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's going to be on, it's going to be on you murder tundra. You oh, better man. bring your, you, you better bring your wire tie. Um, or whatever your your wire tying pants. I get a pair of uh, snips, right, and yep. uh, be ready to rock and roll because they are, dude. That's one of the big things that I've been, you know, just to kind of finish up and talk talk crap. We got more boxes of banners than, I mean, it's going to take. We're going to have to double the amount of fence on the property to get all these bad boys hung up. And it's exciting because we've had some people try some new stuff. We got some different size banners. We got some bigger ones. We got. So we, we went over the top. Huge shout out to uh, 
Joshua Minson and the gang at Red Tide Canopies. We worked with these guys like a lot to buy all sorts of promotional materials. We got pop-up awnings that are branded. We got flyer or fly, uh, flags and bicycle rack covers and all sorts of crap because it, I really want this thing to look and feel different for fans, but also for the competitors. I want it to feel like a festival. I want it to feel big and important and significant. And a lot of that stuff can be done with some attention to detail, right? Some, some uh, fleshing things out a little further than they typically do. And I'm super excited to find out that, that Kenneth is going to dive in and help JT hang banners because <laughs> it's a long few days in Orlando spent hanging banners and sticking flags in the ground. And, and uh, you have to hydrate. You do. You have to you hydrate. Have to hydrate. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of Coors Light. I, I did hear some troublesome news, uh, Murder Tundra, that I think – I don't know what the bar scene is going to be like for you down in Orlando. Like oh, I think no. some of them are open, but I don't know that they're all at full – I don't know all the nuances of this. So I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, – well, let me be honest. I hope the hotel bar is closed. <laughs> way more productive, right? <laughs> We're way more productive if the hotel bar is closed. I don't know what the what the actual what the final verdict on that situation was, but um, so much fun happens from the, from those lounge bars, though, you know. It? Isn't it true, man? And that's something that people sleep on, right? That extra stuff, the stuff that happens at the hotels. Going back to Donald Long and the success that they've had with Lights Out and No Mercy and the Sweet Sixteen. It's as much about what happens in the pits and at the hotel and at Applebee's. Oh, for sure, right? Waffle House, as it is what happens on that concrete eighth mile. It's, and I would argue, maybe more important, right? <laughs> I mean, how important, how significant is Mark Mickey and Mark Woodruff's uh, margarita mixer? At, right. I mean, that, I know yeah. it sounds silly, but like just knowing that that's going to happen and, and knowing that Kenny Hubbard, uh, Kenny Hanna is going to cook food for 10,000 people. Like those things are significant to know that Keith Haney and Justin Swanstrom are going to foot race um, and that big country's probably going to get into a scuffle and that somebody's going to be blaring music. I mean, all those things. JW Marriott matter. Lounge. The JW Marriott Lounge. I don't At know that PRI, they can have you know? PRI without that hotel bar. And it's, I mean, those things and those experiences, and that's the word, that's the word that often gets lost is experience. As a as a people, we love a good experience, right? We just want to have good experiences, and there's a lot of different ways to achieve that. Providing world track world class track prep, it's a great way to achieve a good experience. But I tell you what, if somebody gets treated like crap at the gate, or isn't able to you know bring their own cooler or whatever, that's going to overshadow. However good a pass they made. It really is. All those yep. extra things carry a lot of weight. And this is something that is, it happens. It's a human bias. It's a cognitive bias. I'm going to go into some science for you, Murder Chandra. You love when I do this, but this is a real thing. We often weight things incorrectly, right? We, when we put importance on stuff and we fail to recognize what people are really driven by or what's really important to them. Right. We, we go into things a lot of times with a preconceived notion that like, hey, we're going to give these guys a safe, fast racetrack. Nothing else matters because that's what matters to them. They want their car to go A to B. They want to make their career best. And I agree that those things need to happen. But those really can't be goals. Those are expectations. 
I had a mentor tell me that one time. I was talking about various goals and it was a punch in the stomach. This has been about 10 years ago. I'll never forget it. I was at the YMCA. I'm not going to say anymore, but it ruined my night. The guy said to me, he goes, hey, that, that's not an expectation or that's not a goal. That's an expectation. And I thought, oh, he's right. Crap. Because it goes without saying the track should be good. It goes without saying that it should be safe. Right. It goes without True. saying that the race should be ran in a timely fashion. It goes without saying that it should be organized. Those are expectations where you really improve or change or define someone's experience are with all those extra things. Right. When you go out to eat, you expect the food to be quality. But what what what's in your head is that the waiter was awesome and they were fast and my drink was never empty. I mean, the food, the food's got to be good. Right. That, right. That's got to happen. And I do think that a lot of promoters, a lot of track operators or whatever, they sleep on that. I've said that three times today. I was going to try to make it like the, the, the phrase of the show. But <laughs> it's true, though. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm way ahead of the curve there. <laughs> yes. you're, and, and I tell you what, man, everybody listening could learn a little bit of something from the ongoing experience that is created by being a friend or an associate of Murder Tundra. <laughs> and I tell you what, that's enough for the day. I appreciate it. 96 minutes strong. I'm thirsty and tired. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. Please click like, click share, spread the word, spread the gospel of drag racing. Um, make sure you've bought your VIP tickets to the fast approaching SeaTech World Door Slammer Nationals presented by JEGS. Coming up at the house, Ozzy and Maria Moya built Orlando Speed World Dragway. Jeff Miles, Cindy Marshall, we're coming to see you guys. Um, also, log on to dragillustrated.com. If you haven't subscribed to this magazine, you're you're on the outside looking in. We have had it's incredible. Knock on wood, everything. It's an unbelievable highest circulation we've ever had, selling more subscriptions than we've ever sold in the history of this company, which is 15 years long. Right? It's incredible. Log on to dragillustrated.com. Click that subscribe button. Use the promo code West, and you'll get 12 a 12 issue subscription for just $25. I believe it's the best deal that exists in drag racing. And uh, I think that's it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next Wednesday.